Thanks for joining us today on the Forward Church Irvington podcast. Get ready for a word from Pastor Justin as he dives into a brand new summer series, Hot Topics. You have your Bibles today. I want you to open them to the book of Proverbs. Thank y'all. Appreciate that. They started my timer over. I want to look at two scriptures today, Proverbs chapter uh, 16, verses 18 and 19, and I also want to look at chapter 18, verse 12, two main scriptures. Uh, Please stand, if y'all don't mind, for the reading of God's Word. If you're new to Forward Church, listen, this is just something we do. You say, well, we've been standing for a long time, Pastor. I'll say what we say all the time around here. If you'll stand for the reading of God's Word, I'll let you sit for the remainder of service, and I'll keep standing. Amen. This is just a way to honor and respect God's word. Proverbs 16, beginning with verse 18. If you got it, say, I got it. If not, it's up on the screen and it says this. If I, not, if I did not pick this as a main text, preaching on pride, you would have stoned me. I mean, everybody quotes this scripture. This is the, this is the scripture that comes to mind in dealing with pride in the word of God. Proverbs tells us in verse 18, pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit, haughtiness, pride, synonymous with one another, haughty, a haughty spirit before a what? Fall. I want to add verse 19 in with that. Better to be of a humble spirit, which is totally opposite of pride, amen? Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with who? The proud. I want you to look at verse, uh, actually chapter 18, verse 12 with me as well. I could have really, there's, there's dozens of texts in the Word of God dealing with pride, and I just chose these two as my main text today. Chapter 18, verse 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is what? So it reiterates what chapter 16 already tells us, that, that pride goes before what? Destruction or haughtiness goes before destruction. And before honor is what? So really, if you want honor, it requires to be what? Humble. But if you want destruction and and to fall, what comes before the fall? Pride. Today, I'm going to be dealing with part two of hot topics. And we're going to be dealing with the issue of of, of pride today. Will Will you pray with me one more time? God, I come before you. And I praise you, God, for your Holy Spirit in 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 this place today. God, your presence in this place. I just pray, God, that you would hide me behind your cross, God, as cliche as that may sound. God, I don't want people to see me or hear me. I want them to hear you through me. I want every word that comes out of my mouth, God, to be ordained by you. Nothing more, nothing less. Let it pierce the hearts of this congregation that we would not just be hearers of your word but doers. And, God, I don't want a single one of us to leave here the same way we walked in. And I give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... High five two or three people and let them know how good they look in church today. I'm completely aware of what time it is. And I promise to expedite this message today, okay? So the book of Proverbs is known as the book of what? Wisdom. And specifically, it's dealing with what? Godly wisdom. How many of y'all know worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? Two completely different things. Amen? The special evil of pride, and yeah, I, I really 
dove right into it right there because, let's just be honest, the Bible calls pride evil. And in the, in the month of June where we're actually, the world is celebrating pride, I really wanted to tackle this topic today. Because the special evil of pride is that it opposes the first principle of godly wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord, or reverencing God, or putting God in his rightful place and authority in your life. Reverencing him and honoring him and recognizing him as who he is, which is Lord of all. But see, pride totally contradicts that first principle, which is the fear of the Lord. And it also contradicts the two greatest commandments that I've already hit on in the New Testament. Jesus said the whole law, meaning the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, everything in the law and all the prophets, all the prophecies, everything could be summed up in two things, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So really what that is doing is Jesus is saying, God comes first. And in, a, in, a, in, a, in, the, in the next step, in the progress, pro- progress of the, the rank of importance right there is others. But what pride does is it puts you, it puts you in, a, in a self-centered attitude, if you will. Almost to the point, or really to the point, I'm getting ahead of myself right here. That not only are you putting yourself, and not only am I putting myself above others, but we're actually putting ourselves above God. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture today. See, the proud man is therefore at odds with himself, his neighbor, and the Lord. When we are clothed in pride, not only are we at odds with ourselves, but we are at odds with other people and God. Pride is easier to really recognize than it is to define. If I asked you to define pride in the house this morning, there's probably two, 250 people in this, in this congregation in the 11 o'clock service today. If I asked you to define pride, there would probably be that many or more definitions for the word pride because the reason why is because pride surfaces itself differently in different people. See, to some people, pride may look like arrogance. To some people, pride may look like anxiousness or depression why in the world can pride look like depression because in essence what that means is when pride is self-centered pride is focusing on self and that's the the tactic of the enemy so in essence what the enemy wants to do is for you to focus more on your anxiety your depression your guilt your shame whatever it may surface as Instead of focusing on your God, who actually has the power to deliver us from all of those things. So even though there may be many different definitions of pride in the house today, the simple fact of the matter is this. It's easier to recognize than it is to define, but it's also easier to recognize in others than it is yourself. Pride is like having bad breath. Everyone around you realizes it except you. And until somebody offers you a tic-tac, a lot of times your eyes and your mind is not even open to the fact that I might have pride. 
And so that's why I under, listen, it's so hard to preach on pride. Because the very people that really need to hear the message are the ones that's actually, I don't need to hear this. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you that through the first 10 minutes of preaching this message, you've probably thought of someone who needs to hear this message. But wouldn't it be awesome instead of thinking of other people who needs to hear this message, God opened my eyes to how I'm prideful. Holy Spirit showed me. Holy Spirit changed me. Because the very issue is that we always think, mm, that's for somebody else. That's a form of pride. Many, many biblical words describe this concept with each with its own emphasis. Some of the synonyms for pride include arrogance, presumption, conceit, self-satisfaction, boasting, high-mindedness. See, it's the opposite of humility. It's, all of this is the opposite of being humble, which is, should be the proper attitude in which one should have in a relationship with God the Father. Meaning this, no one on the face of this earth is good. I'm not good, you're not good. Newsflash. Husbands, look at your wives. No, I'm just playing. Don't do it, don't do it. The fact of the matter is, only God is good. There's God and then there's everyone else. And we are only who we are today by the grace of God. There is only... There's God and then there's everyone else. And the only thing that makes you who you are today, you're either standing away from God or you're standing with God. Period. But pride surfaces in all of these areas in our life. Pride is rebellion against God because it attributes to oneself, it attributes to us the honor and glory that's due to God alone. See, we look at ourselves as actually... I'm a good person. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what my hands have done. When actuality, you wouldn't even have the hands that's on the end of your arms if it wasn't for God. The Bible says that nothing we have, there's nothing that we have that didn't come from God. Everything come through him. The legs that you have, the breath that you have, the job that you have, the house that you have, everything you own comes from God. And the moment we think we deserve the credit for something is the moment pride creeps into our life. See, proud persons do, do not think it's necessary to ask forgiveness because they don't admit their sinful condition in the first place. I see all these pride celebrations. I even see pride creeping in to the church house today. Pride is even being celebrated in these quote-unquote progressive churches today, which is totally mind-blowing. And, and, and when the Bible speaks of pride in the sense that it does, and to see church houses, and I, lose, I use that term really loosely today, come on, celebrating pride, it really jars me. It really shakes me to my core, and it should shake all of us. And it calls us to ask ourselves, where have we gone wrong? 
See, this attitude, if you will, toward God finds its expression toward also toward others. This contempt toward God also manifests through the life of, of the one who is clothed in pride. That same attitude toward God manifests toward others as well. Because when we think, hey, you know, we're all that in a bag of tater chips, it often causes people to have a low estimate of the ability and worth of other people around them, and therefore it causes them to treat them with either contempt or cruelty. And I don't know if you've seen a lot of the, 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 the display of what's taking place around the world today, but what I've recognized with my immature 35-year-old brain and eyes, so I'm surely everyone else is much more, you know, smarter than I am. What I see is that all of this is fine, all of it's dandy, until someone disagrees about something. It's like we want to celebrate, we want to have inclusivity. We want to be all-inclusive. We want to celebrate everybody. We want, you know, this, that, the other. You, you fill in the blank. I, I don't have a lot of time to get into all that today. And everything's fine up until the point someone disagrees with that ideology. And at the point someone disagrees with that ideology and tries to bring up the truth, they are treated by contempt and cruelty. Labels. Names are being called. This and that, the other. Oh, well, you don't love. You're, you're, you hate. And actuality is completely opposite, but we're getting there. Some have considered pride to be the root and essence of sin. Actually, the Bible is, 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 is clear that most sin, if not all sin, is actually rooted in what? Pride. It's rooted in pride. As a matter of fact, if I ask the question, and I'm taking... I'm getting away from my notes more than what I thought I would in this service. If I asked the question in this sanctuary this morning, if you could remove one sin from the face of the earth, what would it be? And I guarantee you if I asked you that before I made that statement, you would have come up with all kinds of sins. Murder, rape, all this, uh, you know. All, you would have come up with all types of sins that, in your opinion, if I could remove this sin, Pastor, I would, this, this would be it. But really, all sin is rooted in pride. And so if there's one sin that we should remove from the face of the earth, in my opinion, pride, haughtiness, or arrogance, which is synonymous with pride, measures self above others. This word primarily refers to the attitude of one's heart toward God and others. It's the attitude of our heart. That's actually 1 Timothy 3, 6 and chapter 6, verse 4 in the book of 1 Timothy deals with church leadership in the context of what? Pride. Because even the Holy Spirit knew that there's coming a day and there's going to be an hour that one of these days pride is going to creep into the church and try to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God created and formed the church to be in the first place. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 deals with perilous times and perilous men in the last days. I want to read this scripture to you real quick. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. How many can just say amen on that? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Does this sound familiar? It's like God actually knew what he was talking about. Go figure. 
disobedient to parents, unthankful. Everybody's entitled. I'm, all, I'm entitled to this. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, which is actually one of the fruits of what? Spirit. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. There's that word again. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That word haughty in every context that I just referenced in the book of First and Second Timothy actually is translated and defined to be wrapped in smoke. To be wrapped in smoke. Meaning I am so, my vision is so distorted, I don't know what, what is up is down, what's down is up, what's right is left, what's left is right. I don't know what, I, I don't have a clue. I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm so, dis, I'm so disoriented and disillusioned, I don't know the truth. That's what pride does in our life. Pride puts us in a position where we don't even recognize our own shortcomings and our own failures, our own mistakes, our own flaws. It gets us to the point to where we don't even recognize the need for God in our life. And I'm just going to say this. I'm going to make a bold statement. Lord, help me right here. We've got guests in the house today. God. I pray that God brought me back to this. I don't even have this scripture in my text. But we, we quoted this scripture. I believe it's found in the book of Chronicles. 2020, I've seen this scripture posted on every church sign all over the world. If my people would what? What's the first step? To getting back to where we need to be as a nation and as a people. The first step requires humility. Humility. And, it, and, and while we are so puffed up and celebrating our pride in America, for whatever case it may be, whether it be for some type of sexual orientation, race, gender, whatever, it ca whatever type of pride the people are celebrating in the world today. God says, my spirit will not inhabit with that. I will not inhabit. I will not grace my presence in that type of attitude, in that atmosphere. Because it totally is void of even the recognition that we need God in the first place. Why does it seem like we are living in a generation that is more blinded than ever? What or who is the reason for this? The answer goes all the way back to the first fall. Many of you think the first fall is found in, in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. But can I tell you, that's not the first fall. The first fall actually predates humanity's creation. The first fall is actually Lucifer's fall from heaven. The devil, if you will, he, he goes by many names, Satan, Lucifer, the prince of demons, the father of lies. See, he's been part of this horror story for so long that many people think he's just this fictional character made up to scare children and movie audiences worldwide. And our kids and our children and just this generation that's growing up today has become so desensitized to spiritual matters 
that, that's why it's, it's, it's so difficult to even understand the weight of the issue that I'm preaching on this morning. It's because spiritual matters, all this, because of everything that is in front of us today and in front of our children today, we become so desensitized to these topics. But he's been a part. In reality, the devil has a story that predates humanity's creation. And it may surprise many to learn that before his banishment for heaven, he actually had an angelic beginning. See, the Bible doesn't give us an exact timeline of Satan's origin. Rather, we know of Satan's beginnings. They come from passages written by the prophets Ezekiel and Isaiah. Which passages Bible scholars believe detail Satan's fall from heaven. Now, I'm going to do a little teaching right here, if that's okay. See, as an angel, Lucifer walked on God's holy mountain, that's recorded in Scripture, and was anointed to serve God as a member of the guardian cherubim. Among the highest rank of angels in God's holy host, only second to the seraphim. And that Lucifer was ordained a cherub was no small honor. In heaven, the cherub holds such a position of celestial prominence that God himself, the Bible says, quote, unquote, is enthroned between the cherubim. Think about this honor. Think about the honor that Lucifer, this angelic being who dwelled and walked, the Bible says, on the mountain of God in heaven, God himself was uh, enthroned between the cherubim. Think about the honor that Lucifer had. But how many of y'all know that wasn't enough? However, Lucifer wasn't satisfied with the power and gifts God gave him. Instead, Lucifer wanted more. He wasn't satisfied. I want more. Lucifer became so consumed with pride over his God-given splendor. God-given splendor came from God in the first place. Delegated to God, or delegated by God to him in the first place, which, by the way, every right that we have on the face of this earth is God-given. Nobody else gave, I could, I could preach a message right there, and I'm not actually in one of these hot topic series. The rights that we have doesn't come from anybody else except God. God-given rights. He came so consumed with the pride over his God-given splendor that he became corrupt and violent, no longer willing to serve under God. Thus, Satan's sin was one of pride in rebellion against God and attempting to take from God the praise and glory reserved only for the Lord Almighty. Pride tops the list of sins that God, God actually detests and hates, according to Proverbs chapter 6. And I could preach right there. You know, we've, we've, we've grown up, and, and, and I know the heart behind this. We've preached that, oh, all sin is equal, and I, I know the heart behind that, but can I just share with you some theology? There are actually sins that, that God detests more than others, and I can show you scripture for that. Many are which are sins against the temple, and I don't mean this temple, I mean this temple. You want to know why God detests all this junk? Lord, help me. There's sins against the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's sins against humanity that was actually created in the image of God for the purpose of worshiping the Creator. But because of pride, it's caused the creation to think of themselves and ourselves higher than the Creator. Which was the origin of the first fall. Lucifer's fall. The pride that the Bible condemns, now let me just make this note right here. The, the, the pride that the Bible condemns refers 
doesn't refer to feelings of accomplishment over a job well done, but rather pride in the biblical sense refers to being obsessed with yourself. That your mind never turns to God and your heart never seeks him. It's not like, you know, men, when we cut grass and we cut the lawn and we get off the lawnmower and we look at the lawn, we're like, yeah, that's nice right there. Over a job well done. That's not the pride that the Bible's condemning, but the pride that the Bible's condemning is self-centered. Putting yourself above God. Biblical sense is, 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 is referring to putting yourself above God. Fortunately for us, Satan's attempt or his scheme to usurp God's throne failed. What happened? As punishment for his disobedience, the grave and the grave dishonoring of his angelic post, God, what, cast Lucifer out of heaven by hurling him and his army of fallen angels to the earth and condemning them ultimately to hell. We know one of these days that the enemy and, and, and uh, the devil and all of his, all the enemies going to ca- be cast into the bottomless pit. We know that if we read the Bible, amen? But why do I say all this? Why do I say all this? Because... Because of this, once Lucifer was thrown out of heaven, he realized that he didn't have the power to directly take God's throne from him. So instead, Lucifer set his sights on overpowering God in another way. How does Lucifer try to overpower God today? By tempting God's children to abandon him. The enemy's job is to try to sever your and my relationship with God Almighty. Not only that, but to try to sever our relationship with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's by severing our relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters that Satan seeks to steal our peace and ultimately destroy our lives. It's really no wonder that describing the devil's attempt to unravel God's kingdom, the apostle Peter depicts Satan as roaring, as a roaring lion, seeking, he, he's prowling around seeking someone to devour I'm going to try to bring this to a land right here. One of the ways that the devil devours our relationship with God and with one another is by tricking us. The, enemies, the enemy has always been, he's, he's been deceiving from the get-go, church. He's been deceiving from day one. Twisting, manipulating. One of the ways the devil devours our relationship with God and with one another is by tricking us into believing what is right and wrong is relative. Relative meaning ever-changing. That's why I can't stand this progressive Christianity that is sweeping the globe today. Which is totally a contradictory term if you think about it because my God is the same. Progressive meaning ever-changing, evolving, Oh, well, we know so much more today than what we used to know. Society has evolved. Our thinking has... See, when we get to the point in thinking that what is right and wrong is relative, is actually, what's, what we're actually saying is, is we get to decide what is good and what is bad. Do you see that? 
today you see that taking place around the we you get to decide what is good and bad for your life I get to decide what is good and bad we all just get to decide what's good and bad for all of our lives and you know what blah, blah, you know last time I checked there's only one person that gets to decide what is good and bad and it's the only one who is good and his name is God Almighty and it's all outlined in his holy word but see what the enemy tries to do is Satan wants nothing more than for each of us to act as our own individual gods it's the very and I took this out of my notes because I didn't have time but I'm gonna go ahead and throw it in there it's 11 o'clock it's already you know it's the 11 o'clock service it's already after 12 I've got you here you're a captive audience <laughs> the guests are like we're not coming back here next Sunday <laughs> I hope not It's the actually, if, if, so Satan's fall was a result of pride. But the first temptation, the first sin of humanity was a, a result of pride. That's why every sin can be traced back to really, to, to pride. Because Satan said, God didn't really say that if you, if, did he really say that if you touched it, that you would die, which actually God didn't say if you he said if you took if you ate of it and then he twisted it and touched you know he said because what he's trying to do first of all he's trying to get you to compromise just a little bit he don't get you to take this big step at one but if he can just get you to think in your mind if he can just get you to oh just really question what God says just twist it did he really say touch or did he say well now I'm wondering now I'm, I'm now I'm not so sure now I'm confused and God is not the author of confusion the enemy is but what, then what he said is, is, no, he didn't say. What he really meant was, you'll be more like God, knowing good and evil. Don't you want to be more like God? What he really was saying is, don't you want to become God? See, we all really have a desire to be godly, but that's really not what the enemy was saying. What the enemy, what, what Satan was doing right there, he was trying to, to deceive them to the point to where they become their own God. And no longer were they allowing God to determine what was right and wrong and not partaking of the forbidden fruit, but they were putting themselves in the position of God determining in their own mind what is right and what is wrong. It's the same thing that he's doing today. Church, if this is too hard for us, I'm sorry. I, well, actually, I'm not sorry. You and I, teenagers, listen to me. All of y'all are yawning. I'm sorry. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, you don't get to determine what is right and wrong in your life. Adults, parents, grandparents, young and old, no matter what society teaches you, no matter what your school teaches you, no matter what your teachers teach you, no matter, listen, I'm not telling you to be rebellious. I'm not telling you to do, I'm not saying to go against your parents. I'm not, I'm, don't, but what I'm saying today is you and I do not get to determine what is right and what is wrong. Only God gets to determine what is right and wrong. Only God. 
And by every definition, no matter what definition you come up with today, no matter what type of synonym you put on the word pride, pride at its very core is evil. And we're living in a society today that for some reason seems, it seems like it's a reason to be celebrated. So how do we tackle this? How do we beat this? I'm glad you asked. It's by discovering the will and the purpose of God in your life. Well, what is the will and purpose of God in my life? I'm going to close with this scripture. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Church, take heart. Take heart right there. He's not slack concerning his promises. There's perilous times all around us. But he's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but long-suffering. Thank God that he is patient with this world today. Thank God that he is patient with this world today. How many of y'all know there are still people that need saving? There are still people that need to repent and turn. Thank God that he's patient. Thank God that he's long-suffering toward us. Not willing that, here it is, it's not God's will that what? Any should perish. It's not God's will. It's not God's desire. Everybody's asking, I can't can't believe in a God that's going to send me to hell. Actually, it's not God's will in the first place. But what is God's will is that all should come to repentance. That's actually God's will. So the question is, will we repent? Will we recognize the need for God in our life and in our nation and in our schools and in our education systems, and in our homes, and in our marriage, and in our finances. It doesn't matter what area. You may have pride in your finances. You may have pride in your marriage. You may have pride in your, I don't, fill in the blank. Self-centeredness. I'm my own God. I get to determine what's right and wrong. I know what's best more than you know what's best, God. I'm not surrendering this part of my life. You can have this part of my life, but you can't have this part of my life because I know what's better for this part of my life more than you know what's best for this part of my life. That's pride. And the only remedy for that is repentance. Repentance. Thanks again for joining us on the Forward Church Podcast. We hope today's message was a blessing to you. If you'd like more information, you can check us out on Facebook or at forwardchurchonline.com.